0: Hi, folks. Nathan here. I am excited to have a two-part series to present to you in the next couple of weeks of the podcast, where we're going to be talking with uh, Israel Wayne, who is uh, a author, homeschool speaker. Um, you can learn more about him at his website, familyrenewal.org. Uh, some of the books he has written uh, include Education, Does God Have an Opinion? and Answers for Homeschooling. So, I would encourage you to check out those resources, but uh, also, um, I hope you are encouraged and blessed by this two-part series with Israel on our podcast. So with that, uh, enjoy, and um, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to The Frontline with FPM, where we talk about California politics, homeschool freedom, parental rights, and the family. I'm your host, Nathan Pierce, and thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and see what's going on here on The front line. Well, thank you, folks, for joining us today. I'm thankful to have uh, Israel Wayne, my friend uh, from Michigan. Thanks for joining us today, Israel.
1: Thank you, Nathan. It's great to be here.
0: I want to go in to some of the attacks on homeschooling over the last, really the last few months and, and weeks, um, particularly as to how I wanted to start with they how they are going after uh, homeschooling and and some of the ways that it's considered to be uh, unregulated in, in your state, particularly, um, some of the articles that we've seen um, tie sort of california to michigan which is why i thought of you particularly how you were interviewed um, by washington post uh particularly um and some others um because of how some of the articles being written about homeschooling have sort of pointed towards some ideas about legislation or additional regulation um so how is that kind of prompted things in in your neck of the woods, and and what's sort of the status of that at this point?
1: Well, I think we have to step back a little bit and acknowledge that there has been a campaign against homeschooling from its beginning, and it's had different reiterations. I remember, I believe it was in the 1990s, there was a push by CBS television. They had come out with I think an episode of law and order that I'm probably getting some of my facts messed up, but there was a, maybe law and order was a different network, but there was a law and order episode where uh, they had um, some, some homeschoolers that were abusing their kids. And they did a a, uh, whole feature called the dark side of homeschooling that was pushing an abuse narrative, that homeschoolers are child abusers. And we've seen it pop up here and there uh, in different times and places. There was a, another situation I think was in the the 2000s, perhaps, or maybe, maybe even in the 2000, early 2010s, um, where there was, uh, uh, some homeschool authors who had written a child training book and there were four homeschooling families that were in court, um, that they were accusing of, of, uh, beating their children to death, which I think happened, but they were saying that this was, um, them following the teachings of this these homeschooling leaders. Uh, so that was national news story. And then we had a situation here in Michigan in 2015 in Detroit, there was a mother uh, who had um, killed her two children, had put them in the freezer and there for I think a year or so before anybody found out that they were dead. Uh, that certainly um, created a, a national stir Uh, related to homeschooling Uh, the news media uh, you know was all over that calling for regulations we had a bill that was introduced at that time in michigan by a democratic legislator named stephanie chang um, calling for regulations in in michigan in california you had the turpin family case uh, which the media nationally dubbed the house of horrors story and so you know there's been a lot leading up to this i think that um to, to kind of be, you know, act like this is a, a brand new thing on the, the horizon would be wrong. The media has been building a narrative for quite some time. In September, Amazon put out a documentary series that I've been told was the most watched documentary in the history of Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I think, called Shiny Happy People. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was about sort of a conservative, fundamentalist side of the the Christian homeschooling movement, and they went after some key uh, figures, some of whom uh, you know have been disgraced and are no longer uh, you know cons- uh, considered leaders in the homeschool movement, but that were at a time in the past. And they went after groups like Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and Generation Joshua, and then other organizations that are involved in uh, training teens for civics like impact. And some of these organizations were named specifically. Um, and they had a lot of homeschooled um, former former homeschooled graduates um, who came on to uh, basically promote a narrative uh, that uh, homeschooling is a cover for child abuse and neglect. Um, so so this kind of thing has been happening for a while, but really I would say since 2022, the Washington Post has just been I don't even know the adjectives to use, but they've just been on a campaign uh, to try to portray homeschooling in as negative a light as they possibly can through many different facets, channels, angles, uh, whatever metaphor to use there. And um, they've done a whole series of articles. I don't know if it's 10, 12, something like that. So quite a few um, articles, uh, some of which have been more negative than others, but most of which have been uh, deeply negative towards homeschooling. And uh, promoting promoting it as being uh, abusive in various ways, um, in terms of it being a, a kind of spiritual, psychological abuse, um, academic neglect, uh, physical abuse of children, that homeschooling is just rampant. And um, I was interviewed for two of the articles. Actually, I was interviewed three times by The Washington Post. Uh, one of the interviews, um, they didn't use anything. I, I talked like an hour and a half. They didn't use anything I said. Um, but two other interviews, um, I had quotes p- uh, published in The Washington Post. And um, you know it's 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 interesting when you have people um, who are journalists who who are doing something like this, um, it, it's that they promote the idea that they're just following journalistic integrity and that they're completely unbiased in this uh, in this uh, series right? Yeah. yeah. I don't think, I don't think hardly anyone who read read the series uh, from either side of the political aisle would say that it's without bias. I mean, I just don't think anybody would do it. Uh, And so, yeah, it's been, um, but but as far as motivation of of what motivates it, obviously, you can't, you can't get into um, somebody's head, you know, and assign motives to an individual's heart and mind but if you look at things they've said one of the things that they've said is that they are concerned about how this promotes um, things that they would consider to be Christian nationalism now they did a whole article on that right right Um, and, and those that are particularly involved in the political sphere because they see homeschooling as being tied into kind of religious right politics and uh and while it's not in any way absolutely categorically not connected to any political party at all um they see it as being more aligned with one political party than another right uh, there's which, homeschoolers, which, from, homeschoolers from everywhere right
0: right so. yeah and i'm sure there's a, a large uh a group of homeschoolers in california that would take great offense Right. <laughs> Uh, lumped in with that group, correct? Yes, but but anyway, but
1: I think that's a concern that they have is that yeah. uh, these homeschoolers, many of them, are growing up with conservative ideas and conservative values and and uh, religious, specifically Christian values, and um, that seems to be something they object to. At least that's what their narrative indicates. If you look at yeah. the things they say,
0: yeah, and it seems like um uh like you said some are a little bit stronger some of these articles are stronger than others some of them are really intense Mm -hmm. um they're you know the, the article well let's just talk about it the article from a few days ago um talking about dr brian ray um who you and i both know and have for for some time um there's some attacks there that are uh pretty pretty ugly from the way i look at it i think anybody looking at that would kind of be surprised at to the extent to which they would attack him especially um people that that know him but there's some attacks there there's kind of a there's several different angles in even that article that's just focused on on dr ray and his um his his academic presentations, his his journal, his studies that he's done over the years. Um he's presented a lot over the years that weren't studies that he did. They were studies other people did, but he has a journal that happens to publish um other people's studies. Um how I mean, let me ask you about fairness in that article. I mean, as far as just looking at the academic aspects of it. Um, what are your thoughts on on that?
1: Well, there's there's obviously two ways that they attacked uh, Dr. Brian Ray in that article. Uh, The one was professionally and the other was personally. Mm -hmm. And from my viewpoint, I understand if you're just trying to create a case against someone, that the ad hominem to the man argument uh, can be compelling in the public sphere. But from a professionalism standpoint, they actually found one of his children to say negative things about him personally, uh, about um, how they perceived him as a parent. And, and that, that's just dirty. I mean, that's just low um, yeah. to, to res- resort to that. most um, Most media, major media sources would not do that even with a political candidate. Um, I mean you, you look at how the liberal media in particular has disassociated um Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, for example, right? Sure. You know, yeah. they, they've not sought to try to exploit uh what could be, you know, perhaps a painful r- relational context. Um they've they've you know maintained, I think, an approach that we will deal with the president on his own merits. Um, And look at his policies. And so I think if they were going to attack Dr. Ray's uh, academic research and question it and call it into question as as far as validity, um, I I would say journalistically, you know, that's that's fair game. I think a newspaper has a right to uh, to do investigative journalism if they believe that someone is publishing research that's academically flawed. Sure, But yeah. th- this particular article was not of that nature. This was a let's just grab any kind of bit of negative information that we possibly can and f- throw it all into a soup in a big anti-Dr. Brian Ray article. Uh, right. I found it very offensive. I, I did not find it to be professional. Uh, absolutely was not unbiased journalism in any way, shape or form. And, and if again, if you want to be fair, I mean, I'm I'm actually friends with one of Doctor Ray's oldest children. I, I kn- I've known Doctor Ray for many years, mm-hmm. uh, but I had a personal conversation with um, this other child of Doctor Ray's some months back, and uh, this this other child does not share that perspective at all. In fact, it's a 180 degrees in the opposite direction of the the one that they chose to feature. For the article. So again, if we want journalistic fairness and integrity, um, you know, well, I don't think that kind of a, a line of argumentation is appropriate at all in an article on his, his academic merits. Um, you know, the fair thing would have been to say this one child um, is unhappy with the experience that they had as a child with this person. But on the other hand, talked to these other six that are fine with it and you know like right. it feels like that would have been more a complete narrative if it's just like hey we just, we're just telling you everything we know about this person right um, as far as the academic aspects I'm not a researcher and so I'm not qualified to speak to whether or not Dr. Ray's uh, methods you know, could be called into question um, from from a level of scrutiny, but I I will say this, um, that to find a researcher uh, from an Ivy League school or some prestigious university who ideologically hates homeschooling, and to get them to give you a quote that says, this researcher whose research uh, supports homeschooling is a fraud, um, doesn't make it a fraud. I mean, how is it less ideologically driven to have someone who is against homeschooling that will just call out their their opponent, ideological opponent um, and, and question their merits? And and I will say that to um, his credit and all the years I've known Dr. Ray, Dr. Ray has never approached academics in that way. He has never sought to uh, malign the. Uh, the academic pedigree or or even the uh, methods of other researchers um, if he believes that they were sincerely going about their work in a professional way and just came up with a different narrative or a different result um, he will say I've heard him say many times this one study over here didn't seem to uh, show homeschooling in such a positive light and we have five studies over here that do and so, what we do as academics is we put them all together and we try to balance it. And we say, well, there's one over here that showed maybe even a slightly narrative, narrative, uh, negative narrative, but then these five uh, seem to counter that. So we put it all together, and and it still seems to tip in the in the balance of homeschooling. And you know, the um, publication that he produces is a compilation of lots of homeschool research, not just Doctor research and he constantly cites other studies and other academicians and he has had peer reviewed journal uh, articles published in peer reviewed journals that uh, are, are not just him you know promoting his idea he's had to submit to the rigors of academia to have these published and so um i i felt that from you know what i know uh of the research that he does um and, and the procedures that he's followed, that he has submitted to the same rigors of study as everybody else. And um, is he personally biased toward homeschooling? Yes. Um, are the people <laughs> who have done studies um, uh, that have found negative results of homeschooling biased against homeschoolers personally? I don't know. I will say there are academicians like a El- Let from Harvard, who called for a presumptive ban on homeschooling. I know she's biased against, (laughs) right? Right. And so I've asked, I've actually asked Dr. Ray about this just personally, because I'm not a researcher. And so I've asked him, how do you keep inherent personal bias out of the research? And he said, um, well, bias, and this is true of, of journalists and newspaper reporters as well bias is inherent right um, everybody has biased everybody has a perspective everybody has you know this whole idea of modernity that people don't have a perspective or they don't have any a priori assumptions is categorically false um but you have to be willing to submit to um, the data and Dr Ray has always done that and I've worked with him um, not as a professional but uh, as a layperson on a number of projects uh, over the years Year, participated in a conference called the gen two conference that was based on a, a publication he did called the gen two survey uh, i think that was like back in maybe 2012 uh was actually you know communication with him a lot uh, for a study he did called homeschooling grows up which i think was 2009 mm-hmm. and in all of these uh studies he has never hidden information that would be negative towards homeschooling right um if it's there he puts it in the research he published it is he, he shows uh, that, you know, given these particular conditions, this actually can have an adverse effect on a homeschooling outcome. And so uh, I, I think the fact that he's had to submit to the same rigors as everybody else, he's gone through the peer review process, um, he has worked with multiple scholars from lots of different backgrounds, not just those who are homeschoolers. Um, I, I, I trust his research. I He's done a fabulous job, and uh, and his research correlates to the research that has been done on homeschooling by lots of other professionals. The, the vast majority of research compiled about homeschooling has been overwhelmingly positive. The few reports that have shown negative trends or have been somewhat, somewhat negative uh, are very few. And so he, in the mix of all of that, with all of these other researchers who didn't get called out, you know, who didn't get right. attacked and didn't right. have their credentials questioned, um, his is right in the middle with all of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And so so if he's using some sort of unethical approach to his research, he still landed right where everybody else did for the most part. Right. And so it, it just doesn't, the arguments don't make sense to me. Again, as a lay person... Um, it doesn't make sense to me how they're calling his research less than stellar. I, I don't follow. I, even reading the article, I just, I saw that they didn't like him. That's what yeah. I saw. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't see arguments that were compelling to me.
0: Right. And he's, like you said, he's not alone. Um, I just counted on uh, the, the masthead for his journal, The Homeschool Researcher. And there's 11 other PhDs besides him that are mm-hmm. weighing in. And reviewing these, these studies that they publish. And, mm-hmm. and so it's not like uh, Dr. Ray is some sort of just lone, lone wolf out there, lone person just doing his own thing. He's not, yes. Um. he's not doing this by himself. He's got other people looking over what he's doing. Plus, like you said, there's other studies out there that have mm-hmm. kind of landed in the same place that are not, They're not working for Dr. Ray. They're people outside. We're talking other people from other organizations. People who have
1: no personal connection to homeschooling whatsoever. Um, And they've done studies. Um, I remember one of the first studies that ever came out about homeschooling was in the late 1980s uh, by a guy, if I'm remembering my my history right, but named Dr. Gary Knowles um, out of the University of Michigan. And uh, in, in the late '80s, no one knew anything about homeschooling, and so I think his first studies were interviews—thirteen like, people who had been homeschooled, uh, which was almost impossible. These are people who are homeschooled like back in the '50s, '60s, <laughs> '70s, and uh, it was mostly anecdotal because you just didn't have a thousand right. people that you could, you know, <laughs> you could survey. Um, and and this guy had just zero connection to homeschooling. He just found it to be an interesting topic, and. Uh, Even back then, before homeschooling was even a thing or was a movement, they just found uh, some really phenomenal positive outcomes from home education. And so there have been plenty of those researchers that have, you know, over the years, just uh, been interested uh, out of curiosity, who are not personally invested one way or the other. And overwhelmingly, homeschooling has, has shown itself to be, on average... Uh, very positive. We we will concede. Uh, Nathan and I are homeschool graduates. We should probably confess that. Right. Uh, right. Full disclosure, right? so that uh, that doesn't come out as a scandal, uh, some, right. somewhere that we hid and suppressed that. <laughs> <laughs> so we we both are you know kind of biased uh, because we have our own experience with it. But we will both concede that there are students who went through the process of being homeschooled that don't appreciate their experience. Yeah. They're out there. We know them. Um, and so we don't want to say that homeschooling has been a, a phenomenal, uh, experience for everyone who's been through it, but on the average it has, uh, And you know, again, you average it all out, average out the research, average out the numbers, average out the homeschool graduates. Um, it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely a hundred percent agree with that. And I think, I think it's, it's important to to recognize that there are there are definitely people with the, the bias on, on the other side of this that are kind of going after whatever they can, yes. like you mentioned in, in the articles that we've seen. Um, and and in fact, um, pushing towards uh, more regulation as a response to that. Um, there's been yes. some discussion uh, in your area. Um, mm-hmm. it's, my, it's my understanding there's not currently a bill but there's talk, is that, is yeah, that's that accurate?
1: Correct. That's correct. So basically like within a couple of days of the Washington Post article uh, um, being published, uh, calling for regulations of homeschooling in Michigan because of alleged abuse. Um, our attorney general uh, picked up, uh, so she issued a press release saying she was gonna go after two families who were part of the foster care system and had adopted children out of foster care. And she's accusing them of some really uh, egregious abuse. Mm. And um, I got, and then there was a, uh, a politician in Michigan, uh, Representative Matt Colzar. And, that, uh, and he po- posted a tweet saying that Michigan is only like one of 11 states in the United States that does not have a mandatory reporting um, law. And, and he's saying, you know, we need to fix this. Um, I'm not quoting him directly, but that was the, the gist of his tweet. And then uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel in Michigan came out with a statement as well, uh, saying there are homeschoolers who are hiding behind abuse and, you know, that needs to be fixed. Or there are people who are abusers who are hiding behind the homeschool laws. I'm sorry, I think that's how she put it. Sure. And so um, I, ironically, um, just... Within a couple of days of that, I got a call from a reporter at the Washington Post who asked me, do you have any ideas why there could be an intro- uh, a suggestion of an introduction of new legislation in Michigan at this time?
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. And, I, <laughs> and so wow. I said, <laughs> yes,
1: I said, well, it's it's really interesting and ironic you would ask that question. Because I me mean, personally, I think a lot of it has to do with a very significant article on this very topic that just was published in The Washington Post. <laughs> and so <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and so you know, uh, uh, it, it, you know i'm not I'm not yeah. going to say it was gloating it but you know it was it was interesting timing um, on the part of uh, of the post that to, to to wonder about the correlation um. And so there there is, I think, um, a sense in which when stories like that publish, they they pull on a lot of heartstrings. And they also uh, motivate a lot of politicians who feel like, okay, I could capitalize on this and I could win a lot of favor with my constituents if I show myself as being anti-child abuse. Um, I, I want to comment, and I understand it's just a Michigan issue, but I just want to comment on a, a couple of things related to the prosecution of these two families, yeah. because um, I, I started to wonder, I did some research into it because I started to wonder, how is this even a homeschool story? Because in Michigan, legally, you can't homeschool foster children. Okay. So, you know, why is this being a call for regulation of all homeschoolers in Michigan? if foster children? I found out that at least one of the families, um, had adopted some children out of the foster care system and had homeschooled the adopted children after they were adopted. Um, but as I got looking into it farther, I I was very surprised to find out that in May of this year, both of these families had been investigated, um, and there's a connection between the two. They they know each other and and uh, ha- have mm-hmm. a connection, which I'll try to explain in a minute. Um, but they had been investigated and all charges against both families were dropped in May of 2023 by the state of Michigan for lack of evidence. And and so the families have been essentially cleared by the state of Michigan since May, now in early December. Uh, that has been picked back up personally by the attorney general who's going after both families. And to our knowledge, there hasn't been any new information. Uh, There's, I mean, there's no new cases. There's no new, you know, nothing has happened in that interim. And so apparently she is trying to to, to pick up and and go after them again after something that the state of Michigan already investigated and dropped. Both families saying that there's not. It's also interesting that Uh, one of the older daughters of the Flore family um, has gone very public or is trying to go public and to to give an opposing narrative saying, I grew up in the family and these allegations are false. Uh, I was not abused. And uh, she's trying to get her voice into the media to be able to say these are not true charges. And uh, she has given some reasons why she, that this is more politically motivated uh, that and in some cases perhaps even personally motivated than um, it being actual cases of abuse. Um, one thing that I have argued with um, the media you know with the media related to this investigation is uh, one of the fathers, uh, Mr. Brown actually worked for the Department of Health and Human Services and was by occupation a child protective services investigator so, Mr. Colzar, uh, our representative who is calling for regulations, is saying that homeschool, that Michigan's lax homeschool laws that do not require mandatory annual notification or registration uh, have allowed situations like this to go on uh, where child abuse is happening because they don't have the ability to investigate these lost children because they're missing and they don't know where they are. There's nothing about that that makes a Any sense at all in relationship to these two families. Because when you're in the foster care system, you're deeply connected to CPS. Right. You know where they are. Fathers is employed by CPS. So it it feels like this is far more personal than factual. Uh, These are not unknown quotients. And as uh, the the daughter for the Flores family has pointed out, um, these children spent most of their lives in traditional schools, uh, including public schools. That uh, they're not unknown to the system; they're very known, extremely known to the system. Um, and in fact, I'll just throw this out there too: uh, our Attorney General Dana Nessel, is uh, is very publicly—I mean, if you go to her Twitter page, you, you you'll see it on her bio. She's mm-hmm. very publicly lesbian. And the agency through which these two families adopted in Michigan uh, is a Catholic adoption agency named St. Vincent's, mm-hmm. and they do not allow LGBTQ families to adopt through their agency. And Attorney General Nessel had previously tried to prosecute St. Vincent's to force them to accept LGBTQ adoptions. And this daughter from the Flore family who is married to a son from the Brown family, that's the connection, she became a very vocal public face of opposition to this prosecution against St. Vincent's. So she just believes... That this is more of a kind of personal retaliation sort of situation than an actual child abuse. And and I'm not saying whether I don't know these families personally, Mm -hmm. but I I will say that that the media has pushed this out as there are these horrible cases of child abuse that have taken place. And these families have been basically tried and convicted by the media, which is not where this needs to take place. It needs to happen by the courts. Right. That's our our system. Prudence says that someone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Right. And there's been no court that has convicted these families. The state of Michigan dropped all charges saying there wasn't evidence. Yeah. So anyway, there's some really nefarious uh situ, you know, conditions related to even the premise uh of, of why we have to go after these families. But but two things. Number one, these were not lost children, they're very known to the system. Let's say, worst case scenario, that there was child abuse in these families. This mandatory registration obviously did not keep them safe. Having a child's name on a government database clearly did not protect these children from child right. abuse, uh, if if abuse indeed happened. And so we we believe that again, there's nothing about having a mandatory registration that will produce ch- uh, prevent child abuse. Right. Another argument I used with the Wal- Post is they ran an article about a child who was raised uh, part of his life in Michigan, moved to California. who mm-hmm. was killed by his stepmother in California. And uh, they conceded in the article that they were not real homeschoolers. They said that in the article. Mm-hmm. The mother was not actually homeschooling, but she was right. she's keeping them home, you know, and telling people she was homeschooling. And he's saying, we, "Wouldn't it be worth mandatory regulation or registration of all homeschoolers in Michigan if it saved one life? You know, what if it saved the life of this one child? Wouldn't it be worth having all homeschoolers in Michigan have to register?" And I reminded him, California has a law where you incorporate as a private school, and so you're notifying the state of your intent to homeschool uh, right. as, as a they call them ISPs.
0: Uh, a, a private school. It's it's a private school, or or you can join a an ISP or P, or a PSP as a as a member of a larger group. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, but but there's there's a sense in which you you register right uh, in California, and I, I reminded him of the Turpin case, which he was not familiar with, surprisingly. But I said, in California, we've had a couple of situations where there was a, egregious abuse. And and we had a homicide in California and California um, has laws where homeschoolers register and people who are lawbreakers and child abusers do not obey laws. So they will do one of two things. They will not register and keep abusing their child. Or they will register and keep abusing their child because criminals don't obey laws. That's kind of the basis of it. And so there, there just is no scenario where having a child on a government database makes sure that a child is not abused. And, and I want to be very clear. I mean, Nathan and I are totally 100 percent opposed to any and all child abuse. Yeah. And anyone who is uh, convicted of child abuse needs to be prosecuted using the laws that exist in all 50 states um, that deal with child abuse. And I believe that the laws in all 50 states are quite adequate. Related to child abuse, at least the ones yes. I've seen. Yeah. And So, you know, our view is that the state needs to do their job and they need to follow up on uh, cases where child abuse is reported, but to divert resources and time and funds and 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 man hours away from known cases, known reports. I'm sorry, known reports of child abuse to uh, do what. Um, Stephanie Chang was suggesting here in Michigan in 2015 uh, of having, uh, you know, p- potentially mandatory visits with um, home with social workers for homeschoolers. Um, that's going to harm children.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, Keep them
1: safe.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. I want to witch hunt against
1: homeschoolers. You know, you have to spread these social workers out now to investigate. You know, in Michigan, we estimate we have about 50,000 homeschool students. Uh, California, I think, has far more um, to, to try to go find all these children and investigate them. It would just deplete much-needed resources away from investigations of, of children who are, in many cases, very much in danger. Right. Um, it, it's just there's no way on a public policy level that any of this makes any sense. From an ideological framework, it makes sense. Right. right. And if you have and, an yeah. ideological opposition to homeschooling then yes, yeah, so that makes sense, but it doesn't within any other framework.
0: Right, yeah, and I think I think it's it's fair to say, at least in California, I, I imagine it may be the case in Michigan, we are struggling with our social services just being overwhelmed um, with all of these reports that they don't have all of the manpower they need to investigate the current reports that they get.
1: Absolutely, and, and um, most of those are related to students who are in the public schools and frequently it's related to abuse that has happened in the public school. Right. Um, The Washington Post themselves, I believe, um, said in one of their articles about Michigan that the number one reason people were homeschooling was because of bullying Mm -hmm. in the public schools. So the idea that if we take these children out of a homeschool context and we put them into a public school, that will keep them safe is completely fallacious. Right. Public schools are some of the most dangerous places that a parent can place a child physically. Right. Uh, as well as, you know, I think a lot of other ways too, psychologically and uh, certainly spiritually, uh, you know, if you're a Christian uh, or or even frankly, uh, Orthodox Jewish or Muslim or you know someone who who believes in uh, you know a strong monotheistic faith, um, you know you're you're going to have your faith undermined uh, within right. that system. And so, um, so so but particularly from a physical standpoint, uh, you know there was a case, um, there was a story in the Chicago Tribune uh, came out. I think it was 2017 where they had uh, found that there were over 500 reports of child sexual abuse within Chicago public schools, most of which were never investigated wow. by Child Protective Services. And when they asked CPS why they never investigated, they said, we just don't have enough uh, resources to investigate all of the reports we get from the public school. And these were these were students who were sexually abused by fellow students, by school faculty, by teachers, principals, you know, so on, right. on school property during school hours. And so to tell me that a child is safe in public school and not safe in the care of their own parents uh, is totally fallacious. Now, are there a few families here and there that uh, abuse children uh, within the homeschool community? Yes, there are people who abuse children in every subculture that there is. Right. You can find any kind of demographic, and you will find people who abuse children. It's sad, it's tragic. Uh, but is there a disproportionately high percentage of child abuse that happens within homeschooling contexts? Absolutely not. There's a lot of research on that. You can go to a website called homeschoolingbackgrounder.com. They have a lot of research on that topic. Uh, also, uh, Dr. Brian Ray's website neri nher dot has done a lot of research on that. Um, you can look up his um, studies that link to other studies. Again, right. if you don't trust right. his studies, yeah. uh, go to people completely unrelated to him who are not on the payroll of Neri. Right. Done correlative studies uh, <laughs> on child abuse um, and home- homeschooling, and there's not a cor- there's not a connection. Uh, Again, one study showed that students who were homeschooled are 257% less likely to be sexually abused than students who go to public school. Hmm. That's a significant decrease. They also found that when students who were homeschooled experienced sexual abuse, it was usually not in the context of the home. It was in the context of some sort of -of out-of-the-home activity, maybe a sports team or some kind of a a school activity that they participate in uh, or, uh, you know, some kind of a, a community or civic um, meeting that they're involved in that's not, or, or sometimes, uh, you know, maybe visiting friends, uh, you know, at at their home yeah. or something like that. But, but rarely was it connected uh, to abuse that actually happened within the home. So you know, there's a bias that people don't like homeschooling. They suspect homeschooling. And it is driven mostly, I think, by media reports and yeah. these, these very biased uh, articles that publications like The Washington Post have produced.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Frontline with FPM. For more information about the topics we discuss here, check out Family Protection Ministries at fpmca.org and subscribe to our channel.